Welcome to the Nonprofit Growth Show, presented by Nonprofit Megaphone, the podcast where we highlight nonprofit leaders in the trenches who share the strategies and tactics they use to grow their organizations and make a difference each day. As we like to say, if you want to be discouraged by a general sense of decay, read the news. But if you want to be inspired by concrete stories of growth, talk to a nonprofit. Here's to the modern day superheroes, the nonprofit leaders. Let's dive in. Hey, everyone. I'm so excited to be chatting here with Sarah Haney. She is the Director of Development at the Sacramento SPCA. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Grant. We have a tradition here of jumping straight into the thick of things, and we'll do that again. I was wondering if you could tell us a story of a climactic or dramatic or nerve-wracking moment um, or an exciting moment that has happened in your development journey thus far. Uh, Yes, definitely. I think Uh, Regards to a dramatic and nerve-wracking moment happened um, probably about six or seven years ago. I was um, a director of major gifts for a local nonprofit, and we had our biggest fundraiser of the year, which was a breakfast, and 600 guests sold out um, the movers and shakers of the community. And we had a keynote speaker that would kick off the event um, right before our major ask of the audience. Um, As we were getting ready for the event to start, our keynote speaker still was not there, (laughs) got a call that she was on her way, just running a few minutes behind, stuck in traffic. Um, We still had to start the program with a few other videos and introductions, et cetera, had to get that going because it was a breakfast event. So people are on a tight schedule before they go back to work. Uh, Program got started. Keynote speaker still wasn't there. 30 minutes into program, keynote speaker called and said she had gone to the wrong venue. Um, But it was my job to stay cool, calm, and collected behind the scenes, knowing that Um, If anyone on stage knew this was happening or anybody in the audience knew this was happening, that would not be good. (laughs) So just to keep it rolling um, and to let the uh, announcer slash MC for the event know that they could ad lib and have a little bit fun with the audience. Uh, About 10 minutes after she was about to take stage, the keynote speaker did arrive, um, thankfully, and was able to start her presentation um, with a very human story about getting lost in Southern California traffic and then going to the wrong hotel. Uh, Because she was a very notable uh, personality, I think that just brought that added element of connection for the audience to her because we've all been there. We've all been trying to get to that meeting and something happened beyond our control, traffic or children or whatever that might be. And she still managed to deliver a great speech that was right before our ask of um, our attendees. Uh, but had I not been able to keep my composure and had not been able to keep the program running, it could have been a different outcome. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's so great. I love the perspective that actually it ended up working out for the best because now the speaker has another way of connecting with the audience. I love that. But I I would not want to be in your shoes for the roller coaster of emotions before (laughs) the arrival. That's incredible. Um, Talk to us about sort of your background. um, We were chatting about this before we 
uh, started the conversation, but you've had a really fascinating sort of journey professionally. I'd love to hear about um, how you got to where you are today. Sure. Uh, Well, I've been in the nonprofit sector going on for 17 years, and I started Honestly, after I graduated college, I was volunteering for my local Make-A-Wish Foundation uh, here in Northern California, um, helping out on a programmatic aspect. And they just so happened to have an opening um, on the program side of the house for a wish coordinator. And I applied and I luckily was able to join the team. And I started there for about two years until their director of development said, hey, you know, do you want to give fundraising a chance? And, um, you know, I'll steward you through this. I'll be your mentor. Um, I'll show you the ropes, but I, I think you might be able to bring something to the team. And that's really where it started. Um, you know, I have uh, such a high respect for Make-A-Wish um, and their mission. Uh, and it was just really kind of a dream opportunity because I got to see both sides of the organization And that's so important in being a fundraiser because you're then really connected to the mission and can tell those stories when you're entrenched um, and spend the time to really know your programs and their impact. Um, So from there, I followed um, after about four and a half years at Make-A-Wish, I decided to go down to Southern California and um, take on some new opportunities in development down there. Um, I worked for a nonprofit health organization um, starting up their Orange County uh, region for the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. And then I grew into um, an area wanting to kind of hone in on my major gifts experience. And that's when I joined the United Way of Orange County, um, which I really got to get in the trenches of that personal ask um, and major gift development, which is so critical, I think, in the journey of a nonprofit leader. Um, and then uh, from there, I moved on to Big Brothers, Big Sisters, where I worked at the local region and then got an opportunity for promotion at the national office as well, uh, which brought me actually out to Texas for a bit of time. And that was a great learning experience because learning um, why donors give locally versus why donors would give nationally, um, it's a challenge, but it's also a great educational piece. And um, I learned a lot from that experience as well, especially raising money in a different climate. Uh, Texas is very different than Southern California. So um, learning the donors there and the philanthropy sector there was very interesting. And I eventually made it back to Northern California where I was born and raised and am now the director of development at the Sacramento SPCA. I've been here for two years and it's really um, where I look to finish my career. Um, animal welfare has always been my personal philanthropic passion, but I never really was able to find the right fit um, mm. and great opportunity. And I'm very proud of this area in Sacramento and Northern California and, and all the great work we do for animals and pet owners. Such a cool story and such a wealth of experience in different types of organizations, different geographic regions, different regional versus national focus. I love it. Is there a story that you could tell us about the Sacramento SPCA that um, maybe crystallizes for you sort of the impact and the importance of the work that the organization is doing? Yes. uh, Many people view the Sacramento SPCA as an animal organization, 
But in fact, we are a human services organization. We're working to keep people and their pets together through a variety of services, whether that's low cost spay and neuter services, whether that's low cost vaccines, a low cost wellness clinic, behavior resources. And people think that really what we do is help people find pets, but that's only 10% of the customers we serve. 90% of the customers we serve are people who already have animals and who need help. And um, you know, one of, I think, the biggest things that I am proud of is that we really are at the forefront of tackling the problem of pet overpopulation head on. We're one of the top 10 spay and neuter clinics in the country. We alter more than 18,000 animals per year. And that is really the solution to pet overpopulation is spay and neuter. It has other positive effects for animals and their owners as well, including behavior improvement. Um, but really, you know, our shelters are overcrowded and um, too many animals are losing their lives when really what we need to do is tackle the root of the problem. And to me, that's the spay and neuter. Absolutely. Is there a tactic or strategy that you found to be particularly helpful in your development work that other people might be able to benefit from as well? It probably sounds very simple, but it's active listening. And active listening is different than just listening. <laughs> uh, active listening is really being engaged with your um, donor or prospective donor, customer, client, however you phrase it. Um, really tuning in and making that your focus for however long that engagement is or that meeting is. I think in today's society, people are so easily distracted by their phone going off, by an email coming in, by a text. Oh, they need to check something on their phone real quick. Um, the attention spans are dwindling. And I think there is a lot to be said of a really meaningful, engaged conversation. Um, and from a development professional, you know, my job is to help match that donor's intention um, to something that's impactful for our program and our mission. And I'm not going to be able to decipher that intention if I'm not an active listener in the conversation. Um, mm. And so to me, that's really been utterly important. And sometimes it's even asking if you can take notes when you're in a meeting with them. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think it's, especially if you're going from meeting to meeting to meeting, um, it's really important to be an active participant in in a meeting with a donor, a prospective donor, because, um, you know, there are many opportunities out there for people to give and you want to be transparent and authentic and true in your meetings um, because a savvy donor will see right through it if you're not. Hmm. I love the little tip to ask if it's okay to take notes because, I mean, who's going to say no to that? Everyone wants their thoughts that they're expressing to be recorded accurately and right. what a better way to do it than literally writing it down in real time. That's brilliant. And that makes it so much easier, I'm sure, to remember at the end of the day, if mm -hmm. you've had a number of meetings back to back. For an organization like yours, where do most of the new donors come from? Are they finding you online? Are they learning about you through an event that a friend invited them to? Are they just walking in because they need help with a pet? What, what does that look like? Sure. Well, for us, we luckily have a very strong brand in the community. So we're always, always marketing. Um, but for us, 
as the SPCA, we are 100% privately funded. So not only are we 100% always marketing, we're 100% always fundraising. Um, so those conversations need to go hand in hand. Um, and anytime that we're delivering a message, whether it be on a pet of the week segment on television, whether it be a community outreach booth um, at a local fair, whether it be um, at our vaccine clinic, when people come in, take uh, opportunity of our low cost resources, we always need to be um, talking about what's upcoming, um, what's impactful, how we're making a difference, because it's constant education. And for us, um, from a development side, our biggest goal is to get an individual or a potential corporate partner in for a tour. We realize once we can get someone to our shelter and get them through a comprehensive tour of our facility, that they will leave our facility with knowledge that they didn't have before. And whether they use that knowledge to then share that with a friend who might be struggling with surrendering a pet, share that with their workplace as a potential volunteer opportunity, decide to become a donor, whatever that might be, we are then engaging them into our organization. And from then on, it's stewardship. So um, the impact of our work, I think, is something that, um, yeah, you can put on a piece of paper, or you can flash across the screen. But once you're actually in our environment, it is mm. so moving, it's so impactful, that that's why we need to get people there to see it. Um, and every single time, I swear to you, someone leaves and says, I had no idea you did all this. Hmm. So getting people to see your mission uh, is critically important. And it will always result for us in something. It might not be money. It might not be money tomorrow. But it is investment and engagement in the organization in some capacity. Absolutely. That is such a cool um I don't know, lesson learned or I don't know. It's just a, it's such a cool tip and such a cool approach, especially since you do do so much. It's hard to get that all across in one email or one flyer. Um, let's jump now into one of the particularly fun parts of the discussion, which is the pro-con game or a little mock debate that we do. And the topic that we've selected for today is, is social media long-term going to be bigger than direct mail? Or is direct mail going to long-term be bigger than social media? Or, I mean, you could phrase it the other way. Is it already? Um, is it already that? Um, so Sarah, which side would you like to take? Would you like to take the social media is going to take over the world side or the direct mail is, is still really a potent force? I'm going to stick with the direct mail is still a potent force. I love it. Okay, perfect. Would you like to make an opening statement in the defense of your client direct mail? Absolutely. Um, I think that uh, as you've seen, the rise of social media has taken over everyone's screen and it seems that um, receiving a piece of mail in our mailboxes is now antiquated. However, if you look at people who are giving socially, they typically be give, give because there's an urgent need, um, because it's a uh, quick fix to a problem, but it's not a long-term giving strategy. Um, hmm. In addition, uh, with social media, the current social media, like a Facebook or Instagram, still leaves us nonprofits with very little donor information. So while we might be raising money, we have very little opportunity to continue that relationship and steward those donors. 
Whereas with direct mail, it is quite the opposite. We're able to track their giving, we're able to give them appropriate thank yous and acknowledgements um, and continue furthering that relationship and grow their giving efforts to the organization. Okay, you make some strong arguments, so I will try and do my best to counteract those. Don't you think that social media, by virtue of its connected nature, um, provides something that direct mail can never provide? And that is that one gift can then, if shared or if mentioned on someone's social media page, can then spark other giving. And there can be um, ripple effects that can result out of that. And I know that obviously not everything is going to go viral and not everything is going to be shared at all. But over the long term, don't you think that that is where things are going? We're getting more technologically advanced um, as opposed to less, and that maybe someday there won't be mail at all. Who knows? That's a very scary thought. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, I see that side. Um, and and don't get me wrong, I would never want uh social media and the fundraising and awareness piece that it produces for nonprofits to go away. However, I think it's part of your general donation or revenue budget. It's not the end all be all. Um, I think that your donors that are going to give uh, via social media, what we've seen, they give it much smaller amounts. They're typically our five or 10 or $20 donors. um, And they tend to Uh, maybe make that gift and think that they're done and not further engage with the organization down the line and potential other asks. Where what we see with our direct mail donors, they're making larger gifts at $100, $150, potentially $200 and more. Um, And it also, again, um, is, is just a way for us to continue to steward that relationship. So I think while social media is a piece of the pie, it will never be the end all be all. It'll always be part of a revenue stream. For us specifically, we find that our social fundraising efforts are best used if we have an urgent need for a specific animal medical case. So an animal comes to us that needs to have a surgery within 48 hours, and we need to raise $1,500 for that. That's where we find that need most impactful. Um, but it's not something that we could put out a plea to fund a program, for example, to fund our medical program that helps all animals, such as our Paws for Health Fund, that we get the majority of our revenue through our direct mail stream. So um, I think we have to be very specific about the asks we make on social um, and remember who that audience is. I love it. And I love the nuance of knowing what types of asks are appropriate for social media. And I think you make a great point that like social media is perfect for time sensitive, relatively small, you know, not enormous asks, like not capital campaigns or not ongoing funding. And that does work really well. But I mean, you make a very good point that in terms of sustaining long term repeated donations, it does still seem like direct mail is producing more despite all the hype around social media. So using the tools in the situation that they require. I love that. Um, And thank you. That was very fun. We're going to give you the win on that one. So (laughs) congratulations. Um, That was very, very entertaining and informative. We can jump now into some rapid fire questions. I was wondering, how would you describe yourself if you could only use one word? What word would you choose and why would you choose it? I chose committed 
And to be honest, I had to ask uh, friends and colleagues (laughs) for help on this one Um, because that's not something I'm super comfortable doing is, you know, looking at looking inward um, and talking about maybe myself specifically. Um, So I threw that question out to a, a random group of friends and colleagues, former and current. And that was the one word that kept coming back. Um, I think it best describes committed to my profession as being a a nonprofit fundraiser, um, committed uh, personally as a friend, um, committed as a pet owner of seven dogs, um, you know, just really committed. I commit myself to anything I say yes to. Um, So I think that does actually sum me up uh, pretty well. (laughs) There you go. Friends know best. That's perfect. Is there an exciting shift that you're seeing taking place in the nonprofit world today that you think is really positive? My personal feeling is that people are now starting to value nonprofits and nonprofits are valuing themselves as a business. So that when we go out to make a pitch to a potential corporate partner, we are showing them what we can bring to the table and also how this relationship is mutually beneficial. It's not always us coming out with a hand out. We're looking for those strategic relationships that will help leverage us. And that will also make sense for that potential corporate partner. So it's a business to business relationship. And it's not a you know for-profit that is helping the struggling nonprofit keep its doors open. I think that's very important because we are businesses. You know, we do have payrolls. We do have um, to keep the lights on, but we do have to, you know, have budgets and have wins year over year so that we are effective and that we are performing well. And so I think I'm starting to see that shift. And we talk about that when we go out into the community, you know, not every potential corporate partner is going to make sense for us. What are those key relationships where it's mutually beneficial and both feel valued? I love that. Evening the evening the balance of power, so to speak, and having it be this even playing field where both sides come together to partner without, you know, some of the power dynamics that might have been there in the past. That's perfect. Um, are there folks that have been particularly helpful to you in your professional journey as you've had a variety of roles at different organizations that you maybe want to give a shout out to for the impact they've made on your life or your career development? Sure. Um, you know, I tend to, when I'm in a position of moving on to uh, another potential opportunity, really look at what that relationship could be between myself and the CEO or executive director, because that's such an important relationship between a director of development and their CEO. Um, And you're not always going to click. And if you don't, the tendencies are that it will not be an effective fundraising program. So um, I have been very blessed to have um, a couple wonderful leaders that um, have taught me a lot and that I really had dynamic relationships with. One uh, is Keith Rhodes, who is now with the American Red Cross. Um, I worked uh, under him for multiple years with Big Brothers, Big Sisters, both at the local level in Orange County, um, then at the national level um, for Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America, and then ultimately at the North Texas chapter. 
which is the largest in the U.S. And um, I have to tell you, just his perseverance, um, his leadership, uh, his love of um, the mission, um, and I was constantly learning working for him. So uh, I owe much of my success and career uh, to his um, good leadership and guidance. That's so cool. And so cool to hear how that impact continues to reverberate today. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Thank you for sharing. Is there something that you understand or appreciate now much more than you did a decade or so ago? I would say the challenges and complexities of being a manager. <laughs> um, you know, 10 years ago, I was not, um, had I did not have any direct reports. Now, obviously, it's much different. Um, I have a team of five. And uh, I think 10 years ago, I probably didn't completely understand or value what my manager had to go through by not only doing their um, roles and responsibilities for fundraising, but also for you know doing the individual work plans and management of their staff. It is incredibly time-consuming. Um, you're dealing with um, different personalities, different emotions, different work styles, and navigating that, especially in the nonprofit sector, when you lose employees, which is um, very common uh, for a variety of reasons. You know that churn and burn, or um, having to you know dig into the trenches while you have maybe a person out for an extended period of time. It's hard work. Um, I really enjoy having a team though. Um, and I greatly value um, every different type of personality and work style that my team members bring to the table because it just makes us uh, a better whole. But it is definitely challenging being a manager. <laughs> so I appreciate all the managers out there. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Truer words were never spoken. I don't think I realized that. It was, I'll say it was a it was an awakening to me as well when you start to have those responsibilities and it's like, oh my goodness, this is like a whole nother, it's a whole nother sphere of things to be thinking about. Um, thank you, Sarah, for taking the time to chat with us. I really appreciate it. This has been fascinating for me. And um, where can people look if they want to learn more about you or they want to look learn more about the organization? Where should they look online? Absolutely. So to learn more about the Sacramento SPCA, please go to sspca.org and you can learn all about the wonderful programs that we do uh, for people and their animals. And for me, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, again, my name is Sarah. It's Dash Haney, um, Dash CFRE. Perfect. Thank you again, Sarah. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Growth Show, presented by Nonprofit Megaphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or giving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast network. We appreciate your support. Until next time.